at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday. November 21st, 2022 edition, and we are just a handful of days away from Thanksgiving. Hope everyone has their plans set and uh, ready for a, a nice, long, relaxing weekend. Uh, you know, it's been a challenging year, uh, but as we all sit down for Thanksgiving dinner in a, a few days, I think we have to reflect back on the last year and what it was like last Thanksgiving. You know, last Thanksgiving, interest rates were still at zero. The Fed was just entertaining the idea of winding down QE and doing QT, raising interest rates. And growth of your stocks, call it Ponzi assets in general, they just started to, to break. If you go back and look at those charts, it was around that time when things really started to, that, that uptrend started to end in, in a more serious way. Kind of really peaked January, February of last year, but the downtrend started in earnest right around this time. You know, Bitcoin back then was still north of, I think it was $40,000. And now we're in the teens. And so your conversations around finance and investments are, are going to be different this Thanksgiving and it just reminds me of the old adage. Hey, let's, let's see what that is. November 28th. Yeah. So right around Thanksgiving, it was north of $50,000 in Bitcoin. Now we're at $15,000 and 70% in one year. And the peak was near 70,000. Now this reminds me of the old adage though, which is, Price is what you pay, but value is what you get. And if anything, if there's any lesson to be taken over the last year, it is that. That no amount of storytelling, no amount of hype, no amount of performance chasing can replicate true value creation. Now, what is value creation? Value creation is solving a need or solving a want. Usually solving a need is most important. Whether it's putting food on the table, roof over the head, or heating your home. The basics are the basics, and I think we took them for granted. We've taken them for granted 
as more and more money plowed into stories. Whether story stocks or story crypto. I never really was there. That was all a facade. For thieves and crooks. For those that spun wild tales. And those that truly created value. We're underinvested. We're looked over. We're passed over for the shiny object. Too often, investors are distracted by the headlines and by those shiny objects. Because it's more interesting, it's more cool, more fun to talk about innovation and what could be the next big thing than it is to talk about companies that just simply solve a need. And too many times over the past decade, companies came to be that really weren't solving a need. They simply smacked a sexy jargon on top of it and called it something new. Nothing speaks more to that to me. The first that comes to mind is the boring company. Like holes in the ground. The subway. Calling it something new. But there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of those examples that were nothing more than stories that didn't really solve a need, still hasn't solved the need, and is only there to enrich the founders and those that are close to it. Those, those stakeholders. And so as we sit down for Thanksgiving and we are with family and friends and realize those are the people that provide value to you, might be emotional, might be monetary, depending on your situation. But to me, that's what the holiday season is about. It's about getting together the people that make your life good. Make your life fun. Interesting. I know it's always interesting with my family. Like everyone's family. But at the end of the day, it's really about connecting with what matters. And in the investment world, I think we need to do the same. Reconnect with what matters, which is value creation. And the world will be a better place for it. When money flows to companies that have true, viable businesses, guess what? Nobody's defrauded because everybody wins. Investors make money, more people are employed, and their customers are happy. 
You think the FTX customers are happy? You think their investors are happy? What about Coinbase and all the other businesses that, you know, probably maybe weren't quite as fraudulent as FTX, but, you know, maybe cut a few corners. They're hurt and their investors are hurt and their customers are hurt. And so I wanted to start with that message today because it's so vital to learn that. And I know we have a lot of new listeners over the past couple of years because of the pandemic. And I've talked a lot about value over growth stocks. And that's really what this is. Value. What is value? It's businesses that bring solutions to the world. Real world solutions, not the hopes and dreams of solutions. So I'm Justin Klein. And on this radio show and podcast today, I'm going to help you connect with what the true value is in the investment world. And the phone lines are always open 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888-99-CHART. So I have a lot of material for you today. My main focus point looks into the dangers facing a new generation of risk-taking social media focused investors. And that's what our main focus point is really tied to is so many of those new investors. And the lessons that they haven't learned, and this is really the first big lesson many of those new investors are going to learn. So we're going to dig into that story. Also, uh, consumers got a lot of money in their bank account during the pandemic, and they've started to burn through it with savings rate near multi-decade low. They're low sorry, near the lowest level since the 08 financial crisis. So we're going to look at those numbers and see how much runway do they have in excess savings. Also, small businesses, how are they handling higher interest rates and what are they thinking about the current economy? Remember, they are they employ most of the people uh, in the country today. And lastly, capital spending. You'd be shocked to see that companies are actually spending a lot, which is positive for the economy as a whole. So we're going to look at all of those topics today, and we have some voice bank questions ready to play as well. One is on how to get how to buy and sell stocks and Corning GLW. So I got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, I'll take your live calls as well. Now we're heading into a break, and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda, so give us a call on Invest Talk at eight 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 ninety nine chart. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 
You set the agenda. Don't forget to call. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, my name is Tom. I am new to investing. I have a question about PDM Minerals. They seem to be a small lithium mining company out of Australia, not China. I am new to investing. I am just looking to see what your opinion on on the stock is going to be. That is going to be P-I-L-B-F. Thank you so much for your time. Bye-bye. This is an interesting one. Pilbara Minerals Limited, and this is out of Australia. And they really have one mind, one mine, excuse me, and that is in Western Australia. And they sell most of their, the vast majority of their revenue is in Australia as well. So they're not really exporting much of that to the rest of the world. Small company, it looks like, let me see what the market cap, yeah, no, actually nine and a half billion. That's not that small, to be honest with you. I thought it was a lot smaller. Revenue of 800 million, 833 million trading 12 months. You look at its profitability here. Um, you know, I, I don't hate it. Uh, high return equity, high return assets, that's positive. Uh, it's obviously going to be pretty wild, and that recently became positive over the past couple of quarters. So I kind of like it. I, I have to look at the dynamics of the lithium industry within Australia because if they are one of the main producers, then they could have kind of a lock on the Australian market. And maybe that's what's causing them to suddenly make a bunch of money. <laughs> you know, the fact that they uh, they just came back online. Uh, they're just starting to get, you know, not nice, strong revenue. Looks like that only happened as of 2018 timeframe. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I like the hard asset. And it's in Australia, which uh, I'm pretty fine with as well. Now, let's take a look at the market today. It was... Certainly a down day, down about 15 points on the S&P. And if you look at the broad market as a whole, you saw, yeah, U.S. market down about half a percent, small caps also down half a percent, the Dow only down one-tenth of one percent. The S&P down about 0.4 percent. The NASDAQ, definitely the biggest the loser here, with down one over one percent on the day. And global markets, those were down also over one percent. So it was definitely a risk off day to some extent after option X uh, week last week, uh, a lot of consolidation. We're kind of in a consolidation phase uh, when it comes to the market. Uh, nothing changing though. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, oil was down, energy prices, energy stocks were down early in the day and rallied to close up. I mean, there just continues to be difficult for those energy stocks to sell off in a material way. Um, overall, just a continuation of the consolidation phase that we had last week. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your reported voice bank questions, but we love your live calls as well. So our number never changes and it never closes. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Ashley. She is here in Orange County looking at BLOK, which is the Amplified Transformational Data Sharing ETF. Do you own it, Ashley, or are you looking to buy it or short it? Um, I own it. Um, I've owned it for like over a year. And my understanding of it is that it's an ETF that is tied to crypto. And I, I heard your intro to the show and, you know, I've been watching it go down. But I've also heard on previous shows that you and Steve both believe that crypto will have a future. So that's why rather than picking, you know, individual coins, I was looking into ETFs, figuring, hey, block. My, my understanding, again, of the ETF is that it's uh, geared towards, like, the blockchain, um, whatever it is, software or whatever that is that work, <laughs> makes it work. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to know your thoughts on that as kind of a broader way to, you know, if crypto is going to survive, uh, maybe it's time to kind of add into it rather than choosing one of the specific ones to figure out which one will survive. Okay, well, let me clarify when, I, when we say blo- blo- uh, crypto has a future. What I'm saying is it's not going away. It's not going to disappear entirely. There's always going to be this industry that uh, is going to utilize the technology to try to solve problems. Uh, unfortunately, over the past yeah. probably five to seven years, uh, the industry has been been taken over by crooks and thieves and people just taking advantage and trying to uh, chase returns and, and bilk the unsuspecting investors for capital. Um, and that's not shocking considering it's an unregulated industry. What I've always said is we are very early to the game. It's still trying to figure things out. And what we're going to be using in 20, 30, 40 years when it comes to cryptocurrencies is probably unlikely to even exist today. And I've said this multiple times that it's here to stay, but it doesn't mean it's going to be this big for you know the next five to 10 years. In fact, I think we're going to go into a long, 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 long crypto winter where there's going to be a small number of people that are involved today uh, in the industry that are passionate about it, that try to, once again, create value and use the technology to solve real problems. And unfortunately, 1% or less of the current people within the crypto space are actually doing that. And those 99% are going to go do something else because there's not going to be the money in it for a while. Um, So you don't want exposure to any of this as we go through this long, long, long crypto winter. You want to hold through that. So you don't want to be in anything exposed to crypto, including this, especially this should move on. Absolutely. Um, And I've always said if anyone wants to invest in the space, no more than 1% of their entire net worth. So that from the very beginning, because you said it. If it does really well, 
I, mean, I, it, I don't think you'd want, I don't want any of it. I, I, I'll tell you this. Me personally, I bought GBTC as a trade one time. I made a bunch of money on it. I don't know, 60, 70% over a short period of time. I sold it. It was simply a trade based on technicals, based on liquidity dynamics I saw. That was it. Never bought it for clients, never done anything like that. I just did it in my, in my personal account. Um, because I, I never truly believed that it was creating much value. I see the potential to create value, but I also learned a lot of lessons. A lot of lessons. You know, I was young when the, the housing uh, bubble was happening. And I saw many echoes of it. Just, it was deja vu all over again. And I said, I don't see the value. I see the potential value, but I don't see the value today. Potential value is not value. Let me repeat that again. Potential value is not value until you take the idea and you actually execute it in the real world to solve a problem. There's no value there. Great ideas are a dime a dozen. But unfortunately, in today's social media dominated world, most people don't have the attention span, the work ethic, and the discipline to actually take a great idea and create value out of it. And the crypto industry is the epitome of that. There's nothing more that has more of a veneer on it than crypto. It is the worst of the subprime financial uh, lending space within real estate in 05, 06, 07. But then you put it on steroids. This has been put on steroids. So I need to be very clear, and I feel like I've been clear, but maybe I need to be more clear. Crypto is not going away, but that does not mean that it's a good investment. That does not mean that is, you know, uh, Research in Motion, BlackBerry. It's still around, but it's been a terrible investment for a decade plus. It's been going away. It had some positive, you know, some useful technology, but it's not gone. But it's been a terrible investment. Crypto is the same is the same thing until one day maybe that's solving enough problems. But we're nowhere close to that day today. Now we're heading into a break, so I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive 
at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. The good news? You can get unbiased guidance on demand from Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. Listen live or download the free podcasts. And now the phone lines are open. Your questions are welcome. Call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Now, my main focus point looks at this story. The danger is facing a new generation of risk-taking social media-focused investors. And this kind of hits to the, the theme of what uh, I spoke about at the top of the show uh, in, in regards to Ashley's uh, question. Uh, and this is an interesting article. And what's most interesting is that this actually came out in January. So this was an interesting survey of 1,600 respondents and they looked at new retail investors, 1,600 new retail investors. And 86% of last year's first-time investors plan to invest more in the stock market this year. That was at the beginning of the year. And of the first-time investors, about 63% are pretty young. Generation X, Y, or Z. So millennial or younger. Compared to, in general, about 45% of other investors um, are older. Now they earn, tend to earn less money, personal income, twenty-four percent above hundred thousand, as opposed to forty-nine percent of them are are lower, lower income. Now, there what's interesting is they're more likely to be female, thirty-seven percent versus seventeen percent, and they're twice as likely as other investors, forty-two percent. Um, to use Reddit or social media platforms to inform their investment decisions. So they're younger, they're less experienced, they tend to use social media. Now the positives they, is they tend to be more female which uh, than the, the normal cohort of investors. So bringing more females into the investment world, which I think is great. But 
they're still going about it the wrong way. They're also less likely to consult with a financial advisor. Only 16% think they should consult the financial advisor, whereas 32% of the more experienced investors think they should look at a financial advisor. They're also more likely to buy meme stocks. 29% of first-time investors would buy something like AMC and GameStop versus only 10% of more experienced investors. They're much more inclined to invest in cryptocurrencies than older generation. And they keep their funds mainly at Robinhood, 36% at Robinhood, uh, 26% at TD, whereas TD is the broker of choice for the most, more experienced traders, 32%. And they trade more short-term, 37% report they trade for short-term gain versus 21% of all other investors. And they're pretty optimistic. This is at the beginning of the year, remember, beginning of the year. 84% expect the stock market to increase in value in 2022, compared to only 75% of other investors. So it just shows you. The experienced investors, they've learned those lessons. They've tried to trade short-term. They've tried to chase performance. They also have a better idea that after a good year, odds of another good year are lower, not better. A lot of people don't realize that. You know, they say, oh, this investment has done, did well last year. Unfortunately, they haven't learned the lesson of the curse. Usually the best sectors from the previous year are the worst sectors the next year seen it over and over and over again. There's the dogs of the Dow strategy by the highest yielding stocks. And that does better than indexing. Why? Because you're buying equities while they're down. So it was a really interesting survey and it just goes to show you how little these new investors know. And Unfortunately, just like the subprime crisis, they mistook leverage for value creation. And they traced the dream as opposed to the value. And we are re-entering a world with the meme stocks, the meme, the meme stocks, the Ponzi stocks, Ponzi assets like crypto, they're going away. Not completely, but they're going to go through a period where they just grind lower. And eventually people are going to get despondent and give up and sell everything. And that's when there will be some bargains within the space. Widespread, but we're not there yet. Now let's keep things moving. Go back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on our toll-free line at 888-99 chart. I wanted to see if a company I currently own and plan to hold is a good solid company. My question is about Corning, ticker symbol GLW. They're an interesting company in that they seem to profit from both technology and industrial sectors. 
They're a major glass producer. They make Gorilla Glass for iPhones as well as fiber optics for 5G, but they might be most recognized for inventing Pyrex in the 50s. So they've been around for a while. I just wanted to get your opinion on GLW to see if you would consider it to be a solid company to hold for the long term. Thanks for your help. All right, looking at Corning, and you're correct. They do make grill glass for the iPhone and uh, fiber optics and ceramics. They've been a consistent industrial company for many, many decades. I have the chart. What does this go back to? 1972? Let's see what my other chart goes back to. I always like looking at these, these old, old stocks and that haven't gone bankrupt, right? Where do they go public? Yeah. 1968 is when Corning went public. And so they split adjusted. They went public at about five bucks a share. Now we're at $33 per share. Obviously paid a lot of dividends throughout the years as well. Current dividend yield is at 3.2%, which I like that. They modest debt levels compared to their market cap, about five and a half billion net debt on a market cap of 28 billion. Not too bad. Enterprise value EBITDA about 8.3. And over the last, call it 10 years or so, it's averaged closer to 10. Uh, and so it's trading at a bit of a discount from there. And overall, I like it. I, I have no problem with Corning. Uh, once again, good, solid profitability, free cash flow, a billion two trailing 12 months, which I like. Cash from operations about 3 billion. And Let's see, are they buying back shares? 845 million shares outstanding. Yeah, they were. They've kind of stopped since the pandemic, but they're not issuing a bunch of shares, which is a positive. So I'm going to give Corning a thumbs up. It's uh, on the cheaper side. It's not a bargain basement price, but it's on the cheaper side. And I like the consistency long term. Thanks for the call. Now, my perspective today, we'll look at some historical data regarding the phenomenon known as the inverted yield curve. Now, you know, Steve and I have mentioned the significance of this metric. So let me set the table. Now, in inverted yield curve is viewed as an important economic indicator and a likely precursor to a recession. Now, a lot of people use the 210 yield curve, the two, two-year treasury and 10-year treasury. Not as good as the three-month and the 10-year because the two-year is pricing in policy in a couple of years. Whereas the three month is pretty much the policy of today over the next few months. And what happens is the yield on short dated debt is higher than the longer dated direct debt, excuse me. And typically you have a positive yield curve, meaning out into the future yields are higher than they are today or in the short term because you have to account for that extra duration risk that you might have. But what happens when it inverts is basically the market saying, hey, I know interest rates are this level today, but based on what the economy is going to do over the next two, three, five years, the Fed's going to pivot. They're going to loosen policy. They're going to lower rates. And we're taking that into account. Their expectation of what, what interest rates will be over the next decade, called 10 years. 
And so, say so if they see an uh, uh, if they see a recession on the horizon, they're going to adjust the expected yield in the future. Because if you have capital to deploy, you could lock it up for ten years, or you could simply roll it year after year, right? Invest it short term. Sometimes that's better, less risk there. So the market's adjusting for those expectations. Now, recessions do not start immediately when there is a yield curve inversion. They tend to precede the recession by about six to 18 months. The 2020 recession did not follow the trend of previous recessions. You know, we had an inverted yield curve in late 2019. And then we had the recession in 2020, but that was COVID crisis. So interesting that the bond market kind of saw that. Now, on average, over the last five decades, 12 months has elapsed between the initial yield curve inversion and the beginning of a recession. So the yield curve inverted in February of 2020, 13 months before the start of the 2021 recession, which started in March. In 2006, the yield curve inverted in 2000, in January 2006. But the recession didn't start to 2008, so it took 22 months then. So the question is, are we in a recession now with the inverted yield curve? And the answer is, no, probably not, but we're headed into one. But is it going to be the 2001 recession or the 08 recession? And the odds are much higher it's an 01 recession. Now let's fit in another caller question from 888 chart Hi, Stephen, Justin. My name is Sherry from New York, and I was calling to ask about ticker symbol TECK, T-E-C-K, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. I have a small position in it, and maybe your opinion on the overall sector that TECK is in. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast, and thank you so much. This is Tech Resources, and we actually own this for clients. And this is a diversified miner. So when you say the industry that they're in, well, they're in the mining industry, then the commodity business. But when you're a diversified miner, that can mean a lot of different things. Now, they have coal mines, they have zinc mines, they have copper mines, they also have oil sands operations in Canada. But metallurgical coal, the coal that's used to make steel, is their primary commodity in terms of EBITDA contribution. Copper is right behind it. And then you have zinc and oil sands, a much smaller percentage of the overall business. Now, it's the world's second largest exporter of seaborne metallurgical coal. And it's a top three zinc miner. And I like the zinc part a lot. It's also building a new copper mine in Chile. And its strategy is to invest more in low carbon metals, such as copper, so things that go into greener projects. And so we like that, that bent, the fact that they're leaning into that because they know politicians are going to push for that, maybe in fits and starts, depending on inflation, depending on budgets, et cetera. But they're going to, they're going to continue to cater to that more. And I like that, we like that investment. And on top of that, the demand for their main commodity, metallurgical coal, 
continues to be very strong. Uh, their turn assets uh, about 10%, turn equity about 19%. They have not a whole lot of debt on their balance sheet and trading at about three times enterprise value to EBITDA. So super cheap. And what have they been doing with that money? Well, they've been buying back shares. So shares outstanding now about 512 million. As of pre-pandemic, it was uh, 547 million. So they bought back about 10% of their shares since then. And going back all the way to 2017, they had 577 million shares outstanding. So about 15% uh, of the shares bought back since uh, those levels. So their business, while it's not going to do as well as it has this year or last year, going forward, still supposed to make $4.21 next year, 30 to $32 stock, still trading at a high single digit P multiple, which is fine with us. Uh, and once again, three times enterprise value to EBITDA, which will probably go up because EBITDA will go down a bit. Um, but we like the name. I think it's a, a thumbs up. Now, we're going to head over to an, a podcast review from iTunes. And it was Canon. Canon says, I would love your opinion on PCAR. I have a full position. It's done well throughout the turmoil of the market this year. What would your thoughts be on the position for the next five years? Trim, hold, sell, or buy. Now, this is PCAR, and they manufacture light, medium, heavy duty commercial trucks and related aftermarket parts. And their business is doing very well. It is right near its 52 week high. Uh, it's up nicely on the year. Yields 1.4%. Last quarter revenues up 37%. Earnings up 103%. It's a bit overbought. So, I probably wouldn't buy it right this second, but I would buy it on pullbacks because it isn't expensive and I like this industry and this kind of company. Consistent, profitable uh, when it comes to cash flow and earnings. So I'm giving PCAR a thumbs up. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your calls in now at 888-99-CHART. Listening to Invest Talk, and the market has been interesting. So you'll have important finance and investment questions, and Steve and Justin welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Zarad from New York. I had a question regarding uh, N Faith Energy, E N P H. The stock price has gone up quite a bit compared to other energy stocks. Is there a good reason for that and uh, what's a good entry point for this i know it's very expensive so let us know on the show thank you again for all the guidance all right this is n phase it's the world's leader in micro inverter technology for solar systems and their their business business continues to grow last quarter revenue up 81 percent, earnings up 108 percent, and it is very expensive Next year, it's supposed to make $5 a share. Now it's at $308 per share right now. Price to sales ratio is 22 times, which, you know, anything above 10 is expensive. Anything above 20 is absurd. So it's, yeah, it's extremely expensive. And I worry about the solar industry going forward, although governments are putting more money towards it. I think it's going to be more difficult for the industry for various reasons. One, 
the costs of solar panels are actually going up now, now that China isn't dumping cheap solar panels on the global stage. It's very energy intensive to make solar panels and they were going down. Prices were going down because China was using coal to power the factories and, and produce these things and almost at, at cost and dumping them on the world, which is helpful if you're trying to deploy a lot of solar panels. But now you're having geopolitical concerns. China has their own energy concerns. So they've pulled back from producing a lot of these uh, solar panels. And so they're more expensive to purchase. And then on top of that, the cost of capital is going up, which means about a third of all solar panel projects are financed. So the cost of financing are going up. Now that hasn't bled into their earnings too much lately, um, but I think eventually they will. Um, and then also the fact that from a green perspective, solar panels, because of their waste byproduct uh, and the energy intensiveness to produce them, they're not as green as they're all cracked up to be. So I think that's another risk where sentiment could shift on the solar panel industry in that sense. Um, but Clearly, I think it's an industry in the future that's going to struggle more, not less. And if growth slows down at all in this type of name, it's going to crater. Because that's what's priced in. It's priced in incredible growth for a long period of time. And if that's just decent growth for a decent amount of time, stock goes down 50, 60, 70%. So I will say the technicals are fine. It's strong. They're an uptrend. I'm not seeing anything that's giving me alarm that's going to break down soon, soon. But if I'm owning it, I'm definitely keeping a tight stop on it and making sure I'm not taking, you know, big drawdowns. That's my thought on N phase. E-N-P-H is the symbol. And that's, remember, that's, and he says N phase energy. Everyone thinks energy, energy can mean a lot of things. And it doesn't mean that it's an oil and gas stock and it's not lumped in with typical energy sector. A lot of people say, oh, it says energy. It should be in the energy sector. Yeah, well, the energy sector is typically more oil and gas. Not this, which is a, basically making components that go into solar panels. More on the tech side, really. All right, let's uh, let's pivot lastly to the consumer. And the big question is, how long can consumers last with the amount of money they have left over from their pandemic savings? And the current estimate is roughly a year, depending on how you want to express it. Now, households have, still have about $1.2 to $1.8 trillion in excess savings above where they would have been if the pandemic never happened. So there's still a lot of money left in pockets of consumers, but and, and people are, are employed. And that helped October be a very strong month for retail sales. But now the savings rate is down to 3.1%, the lowest level since the 08 financial crisis. And so that means that People are using credit cards, 
Bank of Federal Reserve Bank of New York said credit card balances increased 15% year over year in the third quarter, the largest increase in over a decade. Now that's from very low levels, but you see because of inflation, because of just time where people spend a little bit more than they make, draw down those savings, you know, you can start to see the consumer probably weaken in a more material way in early second half of 2023. So don't be surprised if they hold up in the near term, but medium term, probably not so much. No, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And you can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing.